we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, I have this really creative title for our teaching series. You ready? It's called The Gospel of Mark. You want to know it's genius, right? I used all my creativity trying to solve the, you know, the setup problem, and four months later, we've gotten nowhere on that creative solution. So I'm like, why waste my creativity on this series? We have a title. It's the Gospel of Mark. We're gonna, we've already been in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to continue studying through it a little bit at a time. We want you to read through it with us. We've got reading plans available. But let's jump right into the Gospel of Mark chapter 2 today. It's a story about, most of your Bibles will have a little heading here that tells you what this is about. And it's a tragic missing of the whole point. Do any of your Bibles have a little title here? What's it say the first couple verses of Mark 2 are about? Jesus does what? Talk to me. None of you have Bibles with you. Okay. All right. It's, it's a book you can get really easily. If you don't have one, we'll help you. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Have you ever heard this story? Well, the Jesus, you know, ministered to paralyzed people. Let me give you some context. Where these four guys carried their friend up on top of a house because they couldn't fit inside and they dig a hole in the roof. Have you ever heard of this story before? Strange story. Way back in the day when I was in like a kid's ministry, we took little shoe boxes and built our own house with the opening door on the top so we could play with it at home, I guess, or whatever. Or, you know, it sit on the counter for two weeks until mom threw it out. Um, the whole point of the story that Mark's trying to show us, and Mark didn't add the heading to it. He would have added it. He would have probably called this story, Jesus forgives a man's sin, and then in parentheses, and also heals him. But most of us think, well, obviously, the biggest thing that happened, he, eh, yeah, Jesus forgave his sins, no big deal, but he healed him. This flips that all on its ear. And in the limited time that I have, if I can get that far today, we will have accomplished something. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. This next verse I'm going to just have to leave some of my questions unanswered. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. What lack of compassion existed in that moment that the people listening to Jesus' teaching looked so with such indifference on a paralyzed man, obviously knowing what he was there for, that they could not even make space for him to get in. Although if you read the end of the story, they made space for him to get out. I, don't, I think I have an answer for it. I don't have time, but maybe something for you to think about. What type of conditions would have to exist in a church community where a paralyzed person comes in and there's no space made for him? So what do they do? They resort to other measures, which also leave me with unanswered questions. Uh, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of God, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Question, if you're the owner of the house and someone starts digging a hole in your roof, do you let them finish? Seriously, if you're Jesus and you're trying to teach, do you not stop? Obviously, this makes a commotion. Mark doesn't tell us. It's obviously not the biggest part of the story, but there's just so many things going on here. I'm like, did someone not see what was going on here and stop and come up with a less intrusive solution? But no. Here we go. Leave it unanswered. So they lowered this man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Jesus says to the paralyzed man, my child, I'm going to give you exactly what you came for. Your sins are forgiven. 
that should strike you as like Jesus was having an off day or that he had a hearing or discernment problem. Obviously, what did the paralyzed man want? Wanted to walk. What did his friends want to do? They wanted to get their friend healed. And Jesus says, he sees their faith and says, I'm going to give you what you need the most. Your sins are forgiven. He's still laying there paralyzed. So some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Another part of the story that's great, can't talk about, Jesus knew what they were thinking. They don't say this out loud. Jesus just knew. Jesus knows what you're thinking, whether you say it out loud or not. So be careful what you think, okay? So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? He's saying, which do you think is easier, forgive someone's sins or heals them? There has been a 2,000-year debate on what the answer to this is, and you read all the different commentators, and there's arguments on both sides of the fence. We're going to leave that alone today. Not going to answer the question. I don't know which is easier. All Jesus says is, I can do both. I'll prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. Then he turns to paralyzed man. I don't want to say it's as an afterthought, but it's the second thing, right? Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And as the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and do you see this phrase? Now he walks out through the stunned onlookers. They won't let him in. How does he get out? There's obviously enough space for them to move and let him out. Amazing to me. Um, they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this, more, like this anymore. You think? Um, let's cut to the chase this morning. I just have to cut right to the chase today. The paralyzed man shows up. His friends carry him. What do they want from Jesus? Think with me. Don't think too hard. Not a trick question. What do they want? Healing. It is the cry of every paralyzed person, every crippled person of that age. People could not walk. It was the desire of all of their hearts to be able to walk. It was their deepest desire. We can understand this, right? Do I have to talk about this? Do you understand it's their deepest desire? That's what they want. They're thinking, if I could just walk, everything will be okay. I won't have to complain anymore. I won't have to struggle anymore. Life will be good. I'll go walking and leaping. My life will never be better than it could be if I walk. It's what I need the most. And what Jesus is saying is, no, it's not what you need the most. You don't even know what you need the most. I know better than you do what you need the most. Here's your big idea. The big idea is that most of us think that getting our deepest wish will heal and save us. But Jesus is the only Savior who will both fulfill and forgive us. You see, this man took his wish, like many of us do, and made it into his Savior. If I can just have fill in the blank, then I'll really have peace over my money. Then I'll really have meaning over who I am in life. Then I'll really have a sense of hope and satisfaction. My stress will be gone. My anxiety will be gone. I will be complete if I could just be married or if I could just be in a better marriage, if I could just have a more fulfilling sex life, if I could just get that promotion, if I can just get to a certain number in the bank, if I can just retire my debt, if I can just have this, if I can just have a restored relationship with my mom, if I can just get my kids to behave, you know, if the Ravens could finally figure out what they're doing long-term, if they could, you know, whatever it could be, Most of us have a deep wish. And I will say that most of our deep wishes are probably not evil. But Jesus knew in that moment he had the power to grant that guy's wish on the spot. But what he's showing him and showing us is that even if he would have granted that guy's wish, yes, his life would have been great for what, two months, four months, maybe a year. It would have been better but he would have quickly found that whatever he was seeking that wish to fill still was empty, and then his wish would have turned on him because he had everything he thought he needed, and then it didn't deliver to him what he thought it should deliver to him. Jesus says, you might be able to walk, but that's not your deepest need. Your deepest need, friend, is never suffering, it's sin. That's your deepest problem. 
That's our deepest problem. Jesus is saying the deepest problem we all have is not what has happened to us. It's how we've responded to it. It's not what has happened to you. That's not your deepest struggle. What's been withheld from you, the wealth, the opportunity, the money, the justice, it's real. And it is a problem, but it's not your deep. The deepest problem in every human being is sin, which is why it seems so odd. Why would Jesus look at a man who obviously, obviously just needs to walk and say, you don't just need to walk. First and foremost, you need to be forgiven. Jesus knew something the paralytic did not know. And I was, I'm reading a book through this series written by Tim Keller. It's called uh, Jesus the King, Understanding the Life and the Death of the Son of God. And he writes about this story. I'll just read it to you. Jesus is saying, by coming to me and asking for only your body to be healed, you're not going deep enough. You've underestimated the depths of your own longings, the longings of your heart. Everyone who is paralyzed naturally wants with every fiber of his or her being to walk. But surely this man would have been resting all of his hopes and the possibility of walking again. In his heart's heart, he's almost surely saying, if only I could walk again, then I'd be set for life. I'd never be unhappy. I'd never complain. If only I could walk, then everything would be right. And Jesus is saying, my son, you're mistaken. That might sound harsh, but it's profoundly true. Jesus says, when I heal your body, if that's all I do, you'll feel you'll never be unhappy again. But wait for two months or four months. The euphoria won't last. The roots of discontent of the human heart go deep. This explains why I, I will sit sometimes with husbands and wives who are having a really difficult time in their marriage, and it boils down to they expected their spouse to be the missing piece of their life, that if I could just, in marriage, through this individual, if I had them, that would fill in the blank, and I would really have contentment. I'd really have peace. I'd really have all the joy. I will never be, it will just be wonderful. And then when it turns out their marriage does not feel the space Jesus wants to, they turn on the spouse. If you were only different, I wouldn't be so miserable because they're looking to the spouse and for the institution of marriage to be their savior. They took a wish, a desire, and they elevated it to saying, that will be my savior. And then when they finally had that savior, it turned on them. Haven't you at times prayed God to take you out of the job you prayed previously to get you into? Haven't you prayed to get that raise that you thought would change everything only six months later to find out that the raise didn't change life as much as you thought that it would and now you're just frustrated? Because your deepest desire wasn't a bad desire, but your deepest desire should be just that, a desire, not a savior. You're saying, I want Jesus and. Jesus and wealth, Jesus and peace, Jesus and healing. It's because sometimes we build our identity on things besides Jesus. Jesus is the only Savior that says, if you'll have me, I'll actually fulfill you. And if you fail me, I'll always forgive you. And he moves on in the story. I don't have time to talk about it much. Verses 6 through 12, he responds to his critics. They say, they say, you know, who does this guy, they think, who does this guy think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is essentially showing them, well, I am God. And how can Jesus, you know, this man didn't forgive against Jesus. You can only forgive the sins that are against you. And so Jesus is essentially also telling us that all the sins we do in life are against him. That's deep theology for another day. But the, the cool thing Jesus is showing is I can do both. I can forgive your sins. 
And I can also give you your deepest desire. I can give it to you on the spot. But why would God give us our deepest desire and neglect our heart, knowing that if he just gave us that desire, it could turn horrible to us. But if our life is aligned how it should be with Jesus, he can trust us with those desires where they intersect with what he wants for us. Because those desires are just desires that God put in there. Those desires and wishes are things that maybe God put in there for us. And when you're aligned with Jesus, this deserves a whole sermon on itself. Your alignment with Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus purifies your wants. And it purifies your desires to the point where you no longer crave to have those things that God doesn't want to already give you. And you have them in right order. That whether he gives them or he doesn't, you still have peace, meaning, identity. Whether or not your church is going up 20% or down 20%, you still have peace, meaning, identity with Jesus. That that doesn't corrupt. I have to cut to the end. So how many of you have heard of the former boxer by the name of Mike Tyson? great face tattoo. All right, I'm not thinking about getting one. Here is a guy who filled in the blank in his life. He came from absolute poverty. And you'll hear his story, a a short clip of it. I clipped this down to three minutes. I want you to listen to all of it. He sat down a year. I'm not holding him up as a moral example or anything else like that. But if you, if you want to hear a story about someone who had what they thought they needed to fill in the blank, and then it turned on them, You might not hear it with credibility from me because I don't have time to tell you my story this morning. But listen to this three minutes from Mike Tyson. It's all driving to the very last phrase. So listen to the story real quick, and then I'll come back, and we'll close together. Go ahead and play that video. And I just want to read through some of these figures. Uh, During the 33 months after you got out of prison, uh, four and a half million on automobiles and motorcycles. Give automobiles to 15 women and two men. Once crashed your Rolls Royce and told cops to keep it. Uh, spend 240000 monthly in just walking around money, nearly 100000 a month on jewelry and clothing, more than 400000 on pigeons and cats, 300000 on lawn care, a house with 38 bathrooms. To what extent did it almost seem, or did you think that just the money would never run out? I don't know. That's just how I live my life. You know, when I was living my life back then, that's just my... Wow, that's even hard. When you mention it, wow, that's even hard. I don't even fathom that. I don't even think I'm that kind of guy. I don't even look for ever considering having money like that anymore. I mean, does it seem like, does that seem like a lot to you now and oh, it I, didn't then? Or um, That's just what my ex-life. That's just how I live my life. Do, do uh, these figures sound correct? Made around $400 million during your career? I don't know. It could have been. Uh, yet end up spending more than you made and at one point were like 50 million in debt? Yeah, that was amazing too. But um, how does that happen? Just being reckless and young and foolish and stuff and really not caring. Was it not caring or not having the sort of, you know, we talked yesterday about role models and having the support system. I I never had a good support system. So what um, I normally, um, I can't really blame anybody, even though you gotta have carried away the weight of a fool by yourself, other people contribute, but I blame everything on myself, you know. I, it's not like I've been sucking, I had a good time too. Sure. In that situation in the past when I had these hundreds of millions of dollars, I had so much I couldn't even do so little, there was nothing I can do. Right now I have so little, but I can do, I do so much, you know. My, my, yes, um, my objectives are different and agendas are totally different than it was when I was younger, and plus when I was fighting. It's like the drugs. You might as well say you have it all, but it's still 
that empty hole that you're trying to fulfill. That's an interesting subject. It's just you spend as much as you can to try to get that satisfaction, fulfill that hole that just is, is bottomless. And what was that hole that you were trying to fill for you? I don't know what it was. You know, I don't know. Sometimes um, at the state I'm in, I'm in now, I say to myself, what was that all about? What was that period all about? You know, what was the late 90s? What was that all about? What was I angry about? What was I depressed about? What was I seeing all these things? What was that all about? What was that ear biting? What was all that stuff all about back there? What was, what was wrong with me, you know? Has that hole been fulfilled now, or do you still find yourself trying to look to fill it? Um, I don't know what I want. But I know I don't want what I already had. I want. I don't know what I want, he says, but I know I don't want what I already had. In other words, here's a guy who had $400 million. Most of us would be like, listen, that can buy, I can't find peace, but it could buy me peace, happiness, a lot of other things, a lot of cars. He had it all, had it all. That's what he thought he needed. And he said, you'd spend and spend and spend and spend and spend thinking that that would fill whatever it was. And he still doesn't have words for it. Jesus would give you words for it. Purpose, meaning, identity, hope, and peace that is detached and uncoupled from everything else that you could actually have and keep and hold and not ever have to worry that it would go away. Jesus says, wealth to Mike Tyson was similar to walking for the crippled man. Neither of those things are horrible things to want for life. But if you treat them as your savior, that if you can have that, everything will be all right. You will be terribly disappointed to the point where he can say, listen, I still don't know what I want, but I know I don't want what I already have. I wonder if that's you this morning. I, I don't know what I want. If I could sit down with Mike, I'd say, listen, I think I can help you on this one. And obviously Islam didn't deliver you the answer because he's still looking. But friend, I guess my closing questions for you as our worship team comes with this. And let me make sure I give them to you exactly right. I remember question two and three, but probably the most important one just jumped right out of my brain. Here it is. Will you let Jesus go deeper? than your deepest wish? Will you know him in a way? Will you let him come into your life and be such a reality that he, you'll even let him go deeper than your deepest wish? What are some of the wishes that maybe aren't evil wishes, but some of the deep, unfulfilled desires you have that you need to diminish a little bit in their importance and get a perspective on them today? Would you be courageous enough to say that? Now, don't twist the message and say that Jesus is not able to heal you, that Jesus doesn't want to deliver you. The story includes him forgiving the man and granting his deepest, what he felt was his deepest need, okay? This is not a message on, you know, Jesus is not going to give you and t- turn to you the things that you desperately need and, and minister to us in that way. But understand that when you elevate those things to saying that even though I have Jesus, I still live with a sense of misery, peace, or, you know, anxiety. I have misery, I have anxiety, I feel mediocre, I feel miserable, but I'm saved. Friend, those two things aren't supposed to go in the same bucket. Something's out of order somewhere, and it's not the goodness of Jesus. Will you let him reorder those things today? Will you lay those things down? Will you let Jesus forgive you today? Let me pray for you. I especially want to pray for the one who might be listening or be here this morning who says, I'm just entry level on this Jesus thing, but I can't identify with the paralyzed person in that story and that I believe enough about Jesus to get close to him because I feel like if he would really care enough about me to touch my life, I really believe he would bring welcome change to me. My question to you is, do you admit 
that in and of yourself, you're diseased with your own sin? Do you believe, is my second question, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the Bible tells us he is, that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place, and rose from the dead, just like we sang and just like the Gospels teach us? And three, will you choose to surrender control of your life to him? That means you're not just looking at him to grant your wishes. You're not just looking for him to give you a boost or a pick-me-up. You're not just looking to pull him out to cheer you up when you're down. You will serve and follow the King of Kings. I would suggest to you that anybody who can make you the promise that he has a better future in heaven for you and can take all your sin away and has already died for you can be trusted to give you decisions on a daily basis. If you can admit, believe, and choose, then this moment is for you right now. You can choose for Jesus to touch you, to forgive you, to restore you, to give you purpose, meaning, identity, peace, hope that life can't take away from you that's rooted in an identity in him, not based on your performance or your circumstances. It's not about what you've done. It's about how you respond to it. And that's good news. You can do nothing about what's happened to you, but you can do a lot about how you've responded to it. How do you want to respond to that today? Let me pray over you. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus this morning, I invite you to pray this prayer right now, right where you're listening. Jesus... I admit I've sinned and I am in need of forgiveness. I believe you are God's son. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross in my place and you rose from the dead. I believe your resurrection is the receipt that demonstrates that your father received your payment for my sin. I accept your forgiveness and I thank you for it. I invite you to live in me and I receive salvation and I choose you as my Lord. I step off of the throne of my life and I invite you to sit in its place. Thank you for saving me. Heavenly Father, for all of us today, may we take some time to reflect upon whatever degree of misery or incompleteness or anxiety we have in our life that can be traced to an unmet deep desire. That's a mouthful. But Lord, will you help us through your spirit to be introspective enough to ask ourselves the questions, why do I live, maybe not with a low-grade fever, but with low-grade misery? Even after coming to you, Jesus, will you help us have enough discernment to connect some of those things to some level of unmet expectation, unconsummated desire, dissatisfaction, something that we have. Will you help us reverse engineer that, that we can lay that at your feet and put it in proper perspective because those things will never save us even if you gave them to us. You are enough. You are more than enough. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen.